Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Hey, hey, good morning, church. You know, I was sitting in worship and uh, I think, you know, when Todd, our electric guitar player, when he stands up, you know something's right, man. Like, it's good, it's good. I think we're going to get those lights coming on here in just a second. But while we're in the dark, go ahead and tell your neighbor, say, hey, I'm glad to kind of see you right now. Good to see your smiling faces today. Uh, as I said, I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And, and I want to give a, a shout out really quickly to our worship team. Um, what you don't know or you probably don't know is that they were, uh, some, several of them were leading in a revival this weekend over in Princeton. And so we just want to say thank you to all of those guys and girls that jumped in there and led to serve the Big C Church. Yeah, let's celebrate them. Uh, and, and, and also, welcome to Jonah. If you haven't been with us, that's where we've been as a church for the past five weeks together. And, and so it's been in this minor prophetic book of, of Jonah. And, and so quickly to catch you up on this, I'm going to recap this. It's a, a recap of four big scenes for us that we've been looking at. Four big meals. If we can, you might have to run the other computer, Caleb. See if we can get that pulled up here. Maybe. Maybe not. I'll give you the recap. Anyway, it's this, the sea in Jonah 1, 1 through uh, 16. It's the psalm of deliverance in Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 7 through Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, inside of Nineveh in Jonah chapter uh, 3, verse, verses 1 through 10. And then outside of Nineveh with Jonah and God, 4, 1 through 11. And we've been making our way together for the past three weeks through this uh, psalm of deliverance from Jonah that he gives. It's this prayer that he has that he's been fleeing in the mission of God. So from last week, we learned together that in chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 7, as Pastor Cody brought up, we learned that Jonah, he's the one that really initiated God's will. And, uh, and, and he gets in the water and he's Ubered by this great fish. And I always wonder in this story, you know, is this that goldfish that someone flushed down their toilet, you know, that came back as some sovereign sushi to help, help Jonah? And, and so this has been really an under-the-sea kind of storyline that we've been looking at of perhaps the worst prophet ever, right? God says to Jonah, go. Jonah says, no, and goes the opposite direction, and he's been drowning in, in the consequence of his choice. And so if you've got your Bible, uh, turn with me really quickly. We're going to go to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to sit down together around verses 8 through 10, but we'll read them um, together, all, all together. So uh, this is Jonah uh, chapter 2, we'll read the whole prayer, um, and I'm going to backtrack for a second on verse 7, but we're really going to sit down around 8 through 10. So, uh, do you love Jesus, Rest Church? You ready to study His Word this morning? Let's praise God for the TV working this morning. Celebrate the victories, church. Um, Jonah chapter 2, uh, we'll start in verse 1, says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me, all your waves, your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land. The bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought me up 
brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish and then vomited Jonah out onto the, to the dry land. So next week, Pastor Cody's going to open up chapter 3 for us, and it's this whole new scene for Jonah. He's back again on dry land, but for today, for week number 6, uh, looking at Jonah's prayer of praise, there are, there are really three effects from the praise that, that I find in, in Jonah's prayer here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at how Jonah's remembered We're going to look at how Jonah's remembered. Then we're going to look at how Jonah's renewed in his prayer. And finally, lastly, we're going to see God redirect Jonah from from Jonah's remembering and his renewal. So it's remember, renew, and redirect this morning. Remember, renew, redirect. And the big truth we're going to carry with us this morning is that, you know, as you're looking at the story of Jonah, Jonah looked pretty helpless But just because Jonah was helpless, it doesn't mean that he was hopeless. So just because he was helpless, it doesn't mean he was hopeless. We'll we'll pray together and then have some conversation about this text. And, And let me say this too really quickly. Just as it was no accident that Jonah was inside of the belly of a fish, it's no mistake that you're here in this place this morning. I think God really has something to to say to us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we, we love you and, and, and we thank you for loving us. Lord, in, in our faults and our failures, um, you just you show up, God, and we, and we give you glory in that. And, and Lord, even when we walk into those situations where it seems like nothing's going to work out, you just you step in and it, and it seems like you make a way when there's no way. And so, God, we just we thank you for, for being the God that knows us, that knows us by my name, and that directs us in, in the ways that we should go. And so just right at the, the start of this, Jesus, we just want to remember you. Remember the cross and, and what you've already done for us, God, how you've already proved yourself worthy of our worship. And so, Jesus, we just we come to you this morning and we say, hey, you, you are enough for me. Holy Spirit, would you teach us today through your word um, that we walk out of here differently than we did when we walked in this morning. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. So our friend Jonah, he's, man, he's really been, he's been in the middle of that ish, right? He's been in the middle of it. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in, in some of that ish uh, before or not in this season or maybe in a season in the past. But for Jonah, he's literally swimming um, in, inside of a fish that's swimming around somewhere in, in the Mediterranean Sea. And things, they haven't been looking too great for him. They haven't been looking up for Jonah. And, and we see this just as a backtrack really quickly we look at verse 7 of what, it, what Cody told us last week, as Jonah said, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And I wanted us to start there this morning. Uh, and Pastor Cody, he unrolled for us in this, the holy temple part, the, the ark of, of the covenant, the mercy seat that's on top that was the presence of God, where the people of God would go to meet with God. And, and so it was this reflection for Jonah that Jonah knew when he prayed, his God heard him. Amen. And, and so I'm not going to walk back through what Cody's already walked us through this morning. But even in this verse, as, as Cody was reading it, I, the, the word, the word, this phrase just jumped off the page to me. It was like the Holy Spirit picked up my highlighter and, and I just, I even underlined it in my notes in my Bible and, and, and it was like the Lord was just saying to me, hey Adam, Jonah remembered me. Jonah remembered me. And, and I think this is such an easy detail for us to overlook, like 
remember the Lord, and like condescendingly, yeah, sure, remember the Lord, woohoo, that's great. Like, that, that, that's, that's kind of maybe how we treat this, this detail here, but understand, when you're in the middle, okay, when you're in the middle of that ish, just like Jonah was, you, and you start to do this, is you'll start to remember the Lord, and what it's going to do is it's going to shift your perspective off of you or off of what's around you, and it's going to move your thoughts and your hearts onto the God who is bigger and better than any and every situation we face that he's been there all along and and I'm not going to get too deep in verse 7 here this is an appetizer for for where we're going but two really quick things the the Lord was just saying to me in this remember thing number one is that we see Jonah remember so that he's ready we see Jonah remember so that he's ready and so we're gonna we're gonna remember so that we're ready and, and I think this is the very first thing we see here in, in, in Jonah. He's still inside of the, the fish, but in his prayer, his expectations are already starting to shift. And like, 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 like for us, you know, uh, on this, in the same way you wouldn't wait until the moment that your car broke down uh, to put oil in it, you would instead make a plan, have some preparation before that. I see a little laughter over here. Has that happened recently to somebody? Okay, so, so you're gonna, now you're going to be ready for the next time, though, right? You're going to be ready for that. And so what you do is you don't wait till the, 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 your, your engine is it's grinding and it seizes up and then you go, oh, I need some oil. At that point, it's too late, right? It's too late then. And so what do you do? You create a pattern. You create a template uh, to either change your oil regularly or to go in and have it serviced. Or, or at a bare minimum, you notice the signs that you see that light up in your face on that little dashboard of yours and you take it in to get some oil in it. You don't wait until it's too late. You remember, right, so that you're ready. And look, I get it. Like for a lot of us, maybe right now, maybe right now for you, you're not, you're not in the middle of the funk. Like maybe for you, the seaweed's not wrapped around your neck. Maybe it's not a season of Sheol for you is what Jonah's praying. And praise God for that. But let me, let me remind you. Let me help you remember one reason that you're here right now, even in this moment, gathering together as the church, loving Jesus, talking about Jesus, praising Jesus, is so that when things begin to break down, you have a default of community and scripture that you can lean into. Just as Jonah did. That's what he's doing is he's praying through these psalms before this. And and so I'm like, yes, man, yes, read your Bible Yes, 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 have prayer time with your, your family. Yes, do family worship together. Memorize scripture. Like all of those are excellent, excellent disciplines for you in following Jesus to practice. But, 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 corporate worship with the church, it should be a top priority for you. A top priority for your, your, your family to remember. And, and like not only does God command this in Hebrews 10 and in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, which means for the follower of Jesus it's not an option thing, it's not preference driven, but also the God that you serve, he knows how badly you need the benefits of meeting together. See, God, he doesn't, he doesn't need your worship. He, he doesn't. But on the other hand, we desperately need this this corporate community of coming together so that we can refocus and recenter our lives on the Lord. And and like maybe, maybe, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I do sometimes. Like why is it so hard to get to church? Why, like like I'm asking for me, why is it so hard to to get to church sometimes? And it's like... Man, it's just difficult. I don't know if it's warfare or whiplash from the weekend, but like for those of you that have small children, man, there, there's almost nothing like to the labor of this love of trying to get a small child into small clothes and get them ready and out the door and on time for Sunday worship. If you have a small child here this morning, just lift your hand. You're the real MVPs today, okay? 
I, I know it's like, it's like wrestling a wet ferret sometimes, you know. Uh, my, my, my wife, last night, Jordan was getting ready for bed, and he was crying and stuff. And, and, and I told her, I said, I feel like we're in a Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> like, there's a dragon down the hallway. He was just, Aah! like, it, it's hard to get to church. It is. Maybe you have a teenager, and they're in that season of, like, where everything that you suggest is a terrible idea. It's hard to get to church, but maybe, maybe that's the point. Think about this. Maybe that's the point, that it is hard getting to church. But, but when you complete this, man, I, I think there's, there, there may be nothing else that helps set the tone and the standard for the daily struggle it is for us to live in personal relationship with Jesus. And, and I'm sorry if this, is the, I, if this is too much. I said Jesus here. I just, the Holy Spirit was marinate on, the, on this for, for me. And, and so for Jonah, we're going to remember these things so that we're ready. And, and as we remember the Lord, as I said, I, I think remembering really helps set the tone of our worship. Really helps set the tone for our worship. Um, I love this thought from verse 7. That for Jonah, right, he's inside the, he's inside the belly of this fish in this moment still. And, and so, it, but it's actually that situation that helps develop Jonah inside of Jonah, the right spirit before the Lord Jesus. His, it says his soul is fainting. Like he has nowhere else to go. There's nowhere that he can hide. He can't talk his way out of this. And so he turns to the Lord. And this, this develops inside of him the right spirit. And you may go, well, what's the, what's, the right, what's the right spirit before the Lord? And to me, what I see here is brokenness. I see brokenness in, in, in Jonah. He's stuck. He's stuck to set alone with his own sin and with the Lord for a while. And I know that's probably not popular preaching. But that's what we have to do sometimes to, to sit, to be forced to sit down with, with our own sin and, and with the Lord Jesus in, in, in light of that, if we want to see restoration. And so maybe in those tough moments for us, we need to remember we need to remember where God is, has brought us from already. Because at the core, that's what remember is. It's to, it's to think forward by thinking backwards. right? And so we do this even when we don't have it all figured out inside of the fish together. That's what faith is, right? Faith, faith is predicated on trust, not understanding. So we just we let go. We let God worry about the outcome. Uh, Luther said this on the right spirit before the Lord. He says, pray, I love this, pray and let God worry. Pray and let God worry. And then Kevin DeYoung in the Remember, he says this, it's the promises of God that are more reliable than your eyes. They're more uh, sure than your senses and more dependable than your past or present experiences, which sounds awesome, right? But what we'll do, what we do a lot of times is we wait until that last moment, until we are forced into this, this position where our soul is fainting, where in that moment of desperation and brokenness, and, and then we'll cry out to God to be saved. And like, look, it's never too late. We learned that last week. It's never too late, as long as you're breathing, to cry out to the Lord. It's never, never too late. But I tell you what, man, if you would have remembered earlier, a lot of times it would have saved you a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. If you would have remembered. And, and there is just, there's just something inside of this. Remember. I, I was driving to church this morning thinking about this even um, and, and listening to Spotify on my phone and um, there's a song we sing here sometimes. It's called Firm Foundation. It's like the new version of Cornerstone. And in and, and, and the words of the bridge, it says, um, Rain came and wind blew, but my house was built on you. I, I'm safe with you. I'm going to make it through. And that's from um, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, about the parable of the house construction that Jesus gives. And, and, and it's like, look, man, this storm came in. And it, try, it tried to drown me. If you were here yesterday, the, like in Paducah, the wind was blowing like crazy, right? It tried to shake us up. It tried to overwhelm us. But it can't because we are grounded in someone and not something. 
We, we are grounded in the person and in, in the completed work of Jesus Christ, and that's our perspective. And, and we've got to remember this. For, so for us this morning, just, I, I just want you to consider, like if there was a, a divine dashboard in front of you, what would the symbols, the spiritual symbols be doing? What would they say in front of you? Would it say, would it say low on prayer? Would it say that you're full on faith? What, what would they read out to you? Have you been, have you been remembering the Lord, and, and also how have those tough circumstances that you've already walked through in that, how have they shaped you to conform more to the image of Christ? What has God already done that you can point back to and go, hey, this, this thing I'm in right now, it's not good, but I, can, I remember what he's already done for me and how faithful, how wonderfully faithful he is. And so what would make him not worthy to be Lord over this situation, Amen. See, Jonah, he may be helpless, but he's certainly not hopeless. And, and I had to tag this remember thing because it really sets the stage for everything else in, in Jonah 2, 8 through, through 10 for us, I think. Jonah's died to his own will. Finally, he's broken before God. And, and at least for the moment, he's willing to be reshaped, recreated, renewed by God. And, and so this is the big pivot in Jonah's prayer, uh, for all my friends, fan, this is the pivot. Tell your neighbor, pivot! Tell it like that, though. Right? This is the big pivot in the prayer. And this is, verse 8, says this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of, of steadfast love. Verse 8 here from Jonah, this serves as both a confession and a warning. This is a confession from Jonah and a warning for us. And the language he uses is really interesting to me here where he says, those who pay regard to. Because if you'll remember back earlier on in chapter 1 of Jonah, Jonah's already been paying some stuff, right? He paid uh, to, to, to get a ticket to board a boat over in, in, in Joppa in his attempt to run away from God's will. And even though the, the phrase pay regard to here, it's not monetarily centered, it still comes with a cost, it still comes with a cost because to, to, to pay regard to, it means, it means to give great attention to it, right? It means to, to have some devotion with it. It means to get some endorsement behind. And, and Jonah says when you do that, it's going to come with a cost if the object of your worship is those vain idols. And he actually tells us what the cost is. He says, he says it's going to have you forsake your hope of God's steadfast love. Jonah, he's speaking candidly here, right? He's speaking from a personal experience that he's had in, in, in his worship of himself as this, this vain idol or, or at a bare minimum, he's, he's, he's realizing that his preferences were stacked above God's preferences for his life. What exactly, though, is a, is a vain idol? What is, what's a vain idol? What does that mean, though? We don't really use that, that kind of language, you know, in our, in our everyday conversations. And, and for me, this taps back into the Big Ten. Ten Commandments is an easy place. Maybe you've heard someone say before, uh, just in passing, oh my God, or, or Jesus Christ, or, or other, you know, words associated with that, uh, curse words attached and tagged, tagged onto that, taking God's name in vain, right? Somebody usually says back in response, like, hey, you shouldn't do that. It's taking God's name in vain. And, and, and so you'll see in just a second where this ties back into Jonah verse 8, but this is a command, right, from the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Uh, it's from Exodus 20. It'll be up there where God says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I brought this out because this really helps us understand this idea, this concept of, of vanity really clearly because the Hebrew uh, connotation here that, that helps us understand is it's saying, hey, don't, don't shove, don't shove, don't empty the name of Yeshua Elohim, the Lord your God. Don't, empty, don't pour out, don't empty God's name. Don't, don't attack, don't say use God as some sort of commodity. Don't, don't use his name in cheap ways and in, in, in low ways. And, 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 and really for me, when I look at the Big Ten, I see this, I see this list of do nots, right? It's like, do not, don't, don't, don't kill, don't steal, don't, don't um, commit adultery. Um, all of these, these don'ts. Because there's a better way. These are don'ts because there is a better way. In, in, in uh, 
Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish. He didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, but he came to fulfill them. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus takes the big ten condenses them into two, says love God and, and love people. You can't fulfill the ten if you don't fulfill the two. And, and what Jesus is doing in both of those instances, he was pointing forward. He was saying, hey, there's a better way, a way you can live that won't leave either of us empty. And so vain, it's not just this, it's not just this certain attitude, this certain tone of voice, or certain usage of particular words, but it's dealing with God in a way that just empties him of his significance. And so the whole reason I brought up the Big Ten, the whole reason I brought this up in the first place is because God through Moses in the Big Ten, he addresses these vain idols. Listen to this, Exodus 24 through 6. He says this about them. He says, you should not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above, earth below, the water under. You should not bow down to them or serve them. I'm a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers for those who hate me to generation and generation, but show steadfast love to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. And, and if you read back through this, you can't help but notice the parallel language here between this and what Jonah's saying, the, the idolism, the cost, the steadfast love of God. And so this is, this is a warning and also a confession that's beginning Jonah's renewal. And, and for Jonah, this is a renewal by recognition. This is a renewal by recognition, by calling out his own worthless idols. That's what he's doing. And you can translate Jonah 2.8 a lot of different ways. But one way, one interesting way to translate it that I've seen was that to, to translate vain idols as worthless idols. That they are worthless. And so in Jonah's day, this idea of a, a polytheistic type of worship was really, really common. It's, it's common in the East today. Uh, you see this, uh, these different false gods and goddesses, and, and there's these really elaborate backstories, and they usually have a particular power that's attached to their name. Um, the, and, and so that's kind of the picture there. Different people groups worship these little different handmade uh, false gods. And so when Jonah would have thought of these little statues and the people would make with their own hands. They would literally bow down to and worship and pray to. Jonah had figured out in his own heart he had this stack of statues that was sitting on his shelf space in his heart to live. He had his own worthless idols in his life that he was recognizing. And, and Jonah, he wasn't dumb, right? He wasn't dumb. He knew, as, as we know, that you reflect the little g God that you worship. Right? If you, if you, worship, if you were to worship Baal, uh, for, for example, you were going to reflect Baal's image. If you believe that he was the God, the little g false God of fertility, you might find yourself participating um, in the ritualistic prostitution in the temple. If you worship Dagon, uh, one of the false gods of the Assyrians, one of the gods of Nineveh, uh, you'd reflect Dagon. And so whenever you heard a story maybe about somebody who was walking around with golden hemorrhoids, uh, that's in 1 Samuel 5 and 6, by the way. It's a really fun story. God has a sense of humor. You can go read it later for yourself. You're welcome for that. But if you heard that, you would know they probably worshiped the god uh, Dagon. They reflected the god that they worshiped. And so for us, right, that, that's true of us. If you worship the false god of, of money, then that means that you probably reflect in your life some way greed or materialism or luxury. If you worship the god of comfort, you probably curate your world um, so that you can protect your own security. If you worship the, the god of image, you probably put a lot of time and energy into what you look like so that as others look in at you, your status can, can carry a positive image before everybody else. And what I'm getting at is this, you will do anything you have to do to make your little G God happy. You will do whatever you have to do to keep your God happy. And every false God out there, whatever it is, man, they all promise you life, but they all lead to death. Every one of them. They are empty and worthless idols. And, and so for Jonah, at least one of the vain idols that showed up in Jonah's life and his heart was that he hated the people of Nineveh just for who they were. Like we've talked about that, right? He hated the people of Nineveh just because of who they were. And so he worshiped the false god of ethnocentrism or racism. 
And so he looked in at these people and thought of them as less than. He thought of them as enemies who were wicked and disgusting. And he pointed his finger and said, who are they to deserve the mercies of my God? And as you read through the Old Testament, you see that the people of God, God's chosen people, they struggled with this. Because they were God's chosen people. And you may go, well, why is that? Why? They were God's chosen people. Why did they, why did they struggle with this? And, and, and the, the reality is that God had chosen them. He had picked them p- uh, apart. And the Messiah was going to come through them. Right? God was going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again through this nation that he chose. Yet what they would do is they would continually take the grace that God had given them in election. And they started looking at the other people groups around them. And what they did is they puffed out their chests and they stuck down their noses at them. And they said, oh, you're just a Gentile? You don't deserve the love of my God. Who cares about you? And so it was nationality. Hear that? It was their nationality that became an idol in their life. As it is still today with many professing Jews who who are still waiting for the Messiah that's already come. And so, church, what Jonah's getting at is that whenever you and I, when we worship, when we bow down to the false idols in our life, he says that we forsake the hope of God's steadfast love. And the picture Jonah's painting here, this is, a, this is a rejection or this is an abandonment from the love of God. It, it would literally be like you walking in and, and, and picking up the love of God in your arms. And after you inspected it and examined it, you put it back down and walked away from it because you decided in your head and your heart, I don't, I don't need that. It's forsaking the, the steadfast love of God, the hope that God Gives. And so for us in this renewal, we have to, to, to recognize, like, look, if you have an idol in your heart that's taking up some shelf space, the control center of your will, you've traded it out for the hope of, of God's great love. Hear me in this. God has so much more he wants to bless you with. He has such a better way for you to live. He wants to give you life, to give it abundantly. He wants to pour out his blessings over you. Yet when we have idols in our, in our heart, what we're essentially doing is we're looking God in the eye and we're saying, no thanks. I'm good. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere else for my satisfaction. I'm going to go somewhere else for my happiness. I'm going to go somewhere else to try to find something else that, that can fill me. And what you'll come to discover, if that's you, is that those idols will never, ever sustain you. They won't. They just can't. And so you'll go to another one and then to another one and then to another one and then to another one. But soon you come to realize that you are only drinking out of a saltwater well. And all it is doing is making you thirsty. That's what, that's what Jonah, or Jesus was talking about in John 4.13. He was right on that. Yet God, in his steadfast love, don't, don't miss that, in his steadfast love, that's the kind of love that your God has for you. It's steadfast, man. It's unwavering. It doesn't move. It's always enough. It's faithful. It's reliable. In his steadfast love, God says to you, he says, hey, come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I want to show you mercy. I want to give you hope, but you're not letting me. Brian Chappell on rebellion, he, he said this. He said, God might be angry at your rebellion, but he's never angry with your return. God might be angry at your rebellion, but he's never, he's never angry with your return. So, so church, what sort of worthless, empty idols would the mirror of your life reflect right now? You know, it may, it may feel helpless in this moment, but through the, the gospel, you're not hopeless. And so Jonah, he's, he's remembering God. He's started this process of renewal, right? He's recognizing, he's called out his idolism in his own heart as a confession and a warning for us. And an idol, that idol man that he worshipped, it controlled his heart for a while, right? He, he actually left the God that created him and went his own way for a while. Yet here he realizes that 
And so his posture in his prayer totally starts to shift. This is the second part of his renewal. Listen to this, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. For Jonah here, this is, a, this is another moment. This is a moment of renewal. And it's a renewal from Jonah's response. And what, he, and what he's saying. And this is, he, he responds with a voice of thanksgiving. And this is hard for me to avoid just because Thanksgiving's right around the corner, you know. Uh, thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of all time. It's like the redeemer of Halloween for me. Um, tell your neighbor your favorite, ho- or, or favorite Thanksgiving dinner, your favorite meal real quick, your favorite side dish, whatever it is. Just tell them really quickly. Tell them, don't be a big chief, no fun. Tell them what your favorite Thanksgiving food is. I want you to know if you said cranberry sauce, we're going to ask you to leave church today. Um, we're going to actually, we'll just bring them up here. Pastor John, we'll, we'll put our hands on them and uh, cast out the demonic forces off their taste buds today. Um, I love Thanksgiving. And, and our family's Thanksgiving, um, what we, do, we would do a lot of times every year, especially at my mom's house, is that uh, before we would sit down to eat or we're playing games and all that stuff, we would all kind of stand up and say something that we were thankful for over the past year, something maybe God had done in our life um, to, to just give thanks to, to God. And, and, and from that, what I, what I learned is that Thanksgiving, it's not, it's not meant necessarily to be private, but, but Thanksgiving gratitude, it's meant to be a public event. Like, I, I, like I, I, there's nothing wrong with sending a letter to someone, but I think gratitude is bigger than just one person, one recipient reading what one other person. It says, I really believe as you read the scriptures, you see gratitude as a community kind of event. And, and it's, it's a whisper. It's not a whisper. It's a war cry. And it's just like you're going, hey, c- could you come over here and let me brag to you about my God? I love what Psalm 66 says in verse 5. It says this. Listen to this. It says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. A voice of thanksgiving, that's what it said in Jonah. A voice of thanksgiving. I think that is one of the greatest, greatest privileges a a child of God, God's kids can have. To, to, to be able to brag about the things that God has, has done. Let me just tell you what he's done in my life. Let me tell you where I was and what he's done. And it's so amazing. Would you, if you got ears, would you just come in and, and, and listen? And what I believe, church, that sort of voice, that sort of temperature, what it, what it will do, it, it concurrently praises God. But what it also does is it also turns what we currently have into enough. Did you catch that? Even if it's not enough, because our God is enough. And it just, it, just, it just changes something inside of us whenever we're grateful, whenever we have this voice of, of, of thanksgiving. And, and, and like, it's really hard. It's hard to harbor some hate whenever you're, whenever you're grateful. And so the next time that you get, you, you self-deprecate or... I don't even know what the phrase is, deprecate on somebody else, or, or you're just, you're, you're upset or angry. Try this. Start to count, start to, to, to verbally communicate the, the ways that you're thankful, the gratitude of God in your life. And I found this quote the other day, or it found me rather, and I thought it was so good. It said this, it's hard to throw stones when you're busy washing feet. Man, that's so good, right? Like, because if you show me somebody's hands that are full with thanksgiving, I'm going to show you somebody's hands that are empty of a lot of other things. It's a voice of thanksgiving from, from Jonah. And, and as those of us who follow Jesus, this has got to be an ever-increasing uh, way of life for us, of our gratitude and thanksgiving. Because, here's why, okay? Here's the gospel tie-in. That, that we've had some crazy, crazy stuff happen in our lives, right? Like we were here, and so we know our sin, but we also, we're, we're discovering who our God is in the middle of that. And when we put those two things together, our sin up against the grace of God, I don't, I don't know how it could do anything else but cause us to be grateful. As we look at God's forgiveness, undeserved grace that, that we have, I don't know how it could do anything else but cause thanksgiving, a voice of thanksgiving inside of us. And how do I know that I'm getting this gratitude thing right? I think one way we can know 
is that even if it's painful, I'm still thankful. Even if it's painful, I'm still thankful and it hurts. But sometimes that hurt helps. Right, that's what we see here with, here with Jonah as, as God's fashioning him and stretching him in ways that he wouldn't have necessarily picked. And, and like, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I don't like the betrayal. I, I don't like the circumstance sometimes. I don't like the disappointment from people. But we got to recognize, hey, look, I've got to walk through this thing. And, and I know that I can because God is shaping me and holding me even now. And I might feel helpless, but I know that I'm not hopeless. And so, church, let me just ask you this morning, if, if you were, if we put it up on the screen, would your hands, would they in your mouth, would it, would it show a, a voice of thanksgiving? Or would it show more of a, a voice of discontent or, or dissatisfaction? This is Jonah's tone. This is his language. This is his worship. Verse 9. This is his sacrifice. Look at that word. This is his sacrifice to God, which immediately makes me think of Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 and 2. And, and this is kind of a fun scene for me to imagine in my mind. Um, his, his, his tone changes, his temperature changes. And so Jonah's inside of this fish, and he hits the, you know, the Spotify playlist of psalms in his own mind. And he's, and he's worshiping. He's giving the sacrifice before the Lord and, and he's singing those songs of praise and, and, and what he's doing as, as he's sacrificing don't miss this is he's renewing his faith with his worship don't miss that Jonah is renewing his faith by from as a product byproduct of from his worship he's renewing his faith by his worship and so look this isn't this isn't specifically about singing songs in church, right? Okay, it's, it's bigger than that. But also, but also, I think the hermeneutic is large enough for us to bring that into it because he's, he's singing these songs, right? He's singing these psalms out. And so, just really quickly, for those of you who don't like to sing songs uh, as the corporate church, I always wonder why is that? Why is that? You know, because, um, and I'm not like going to call you up here as like to have like a repentance special or something in front of, you know. It'd be funny though, uh, but I'm not going to do that. But I'd fair to guess that most of you in here, you don't live from sunup to sundown, a monotone, completely monotone uh, style, lifestyle. And I bet the farm that there are forces in your life that causes a, cause a response from you. I almost guarantee it from everyone in here. There's something, some things, some ones that, that cause joy to rise up in you, that cause smiles to come out, that cause happiness uh, to, to come up like if you were to ask you, you know, hey, uh, you know, how are, somebody comes up and asks you, how, how's your kids doing? And then, like, you roll out, you know, this Rolodex of, of photos on your phone for them. And, and, and your temperature shifts and your tone shifts because you're just so proud of your kids or your grandkids or whoever it is. And the person that asked you about them immediately regrets asking you about them, right? Because you just are so in love with them, praise God. There are things in your life that cause this, or like maybe you're driving down the road, you know, and, and, and that song comes on, and it's your song, and, and you're just yelling out, nobody else is in the car with you, you're just yelling out, you know, uh, Dashboard Confessional, or Luke Bryan, or whatever it is. I, Josh, I don't know if Luke Bryan causes those emotions in anybody, it doesn't for me for sure, but, um, or even a worship song, and it just hits just right, and it's like the Holy Spirit is sitting right there, like you know how to worship. You know what this means to worship. You know what it means to respond and worship. Yet, I'll just ask out of my curiosity, when did we decide to leave the emotion out of worship? When, when did we culturally decide, and especially for us guys, because we think of emotion associated with weakness sometimes, which is not true. Amen, that's right. But what you're doing is you're being renewed in, in, in your worship is to change the way you think about it. Worship, it's logical for sure. There's this holy God. We have a response of worship to him. It's definitely logical, but it's also emotional. It's also emotional. Yet sometimes in our, in our super spiritual spirituality, right, we, we pull the emotion back in, in those moments. But, for example, my, when I met, first met my wife, Laura, cognitively, I, I, you know, I thought, hey, there's one of you. There's one of me. Hey, girl, hey. Like, it made, the math made sense, right? But also, 
emotionally, right? Something, something inside of my heart just started to stir. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, if you know, you know. And so there was, there was a combination here of logic and emotion working together. And it's like, when we look at God, why, why in the world would we think that when we come before the living God that we need to sanitize our prayers or leave emotion detached from the God of emotion? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And so... Uh, this relationship between you and God, it's real. That's what I'm getting. It's real. God is as real to me this morning as you are sitting in front of me. It's the realest of real relationships. And so it has to have emotion attached to it. Sometimes it's passion and excitement. Sometimes um, it, it, it's, it's a cry for help. But it has emotion. And, and, and some of you dudes, man, like, <laughs> I've, I've seen you. I've seen, I've, I've seen grown men. I've been that grown man, okay? Watching the game, and everybody's high-fiving and chest-bumping, and we're crying, and you're slapping each other on the butt, and like you're excited about a team that doesn't even know your name. They don't even know that you exist. They don't care about you. See, you know how to worship. We've just forgotten. It's like when we enter the doors of the church, we've, we've forgotten all of a sudden. And our God is so much more worthy of the sacrifice, that's what John said, the sacrifice of our emotion. It's logic and emotion together. And so what this does is this creates, this creates in Jonah, I think, this sort of desperation for God. It's a beautiful thing. This desperation, worship creates desperation. Like, and as you're looking at this story, could there be any more desperate of a place than inside of a fish? I don't know... If you've ever had this experience before, but for me, whenever I go to bed at night, I always take a bottle of water with me and set it on my bedside. Because I don't know, it's like if I wake up in the middle of the night, I want something to drink. And, and when you get that drink of water after you wake up and you've been asleep for a while, oh man, like it's, it's like there's nothing in the world, on the planet Earth, that comes close to that. But if you forget... Have you ever forgotten? You've probably been there before if you do this. You forgot your water and you're, you're searching out and so you're, you know, you're stumbling through the dark and you hit your shin on the bed or your toe on the bed and you're, you're like dropped to your knees and like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, you know? And then, but like bumbling and stumbling, you eventually make it to the fridge or the faucet and for me, if I get to the faucet, I'll just, to be honest, I'll just put my whole face. And there, there's nothing that satisfies more in that moment, right? The, this thirst. There's this, there's this desperation that I have to get this, this drink. And so it, worship, what it does is it gives us a taste of what God is really like. And desperation teaches us to sit in his glory for a little while. And what I know about you without even knowing you is that you, we are all desperate for some things. Desperation in itself isn't a bad thing. It's all about the destination of your desperation, right? It's all about where it's pointed at. And so for some of us, we're desperate. We're desperate to get the girl. Some of us, we're, we're desperate to get the guy. We're desperate to build the portfolio. We're desperate to have the status attached to our, our last name. We're desperate to get out of the fish that we're in. And so I just asked this morning, church, who are you desperate for? Who are you desperate for? And I can't, I can't speak for, for you on this one, but I speak for our pastor team, Pastor Johan, Cody, John, Isaac. Like, man, we want to be, we want to be a church. We want, we want our men to be desperate men for God. Men desperate for God that, that love their families Love their wife, love their kids, lead them to Jesus. We want you ladies, we want our ladies here, we want you to be desperate to walk in the nurturing character of our God, to, to fear God, to love people. Like we're desperate for that. We, we want your kids to be desperate for Jesus. Like the prayer that I have over our, our kids ministry is that our kids, our kids, your kids that come here, that they all have the world's most boring testimony. That's my prayer. They have the most boring testimony. 
and, and it's like somebody comes and asks them their story. They're just like, hey, you know, what, how did you meet Jesus? And they're like, well, you know, my, my, my dad loved my mom, and my mom loved my dad, and they loved us, and, and, and they went to church, and they brought us along to church, and they read their Bible, and they, they would pray, and then they taught us how to do these things. And so we, you know, we, we seen our sin, and we met Jesus the end. Amen for a boring testimony. And like, look, I want to be, I'm down, you know this, I'm down, I'm down with cool church, and I'm down, I'm down with fun church, and a few of us are down with 50-minute expository preaching church, right? <laughs> Cody is. But I'll tell you what pales in comparison to all of those, it's desperate church. It's desperate church. When God the Holy Spirit shows up, and he just walks in and does what he does. And then you walk away and you can't even explain it. But you know that he was there and he was doing these things. There's, not, there's nothing better than that, church. Worship, what it will do in your sacrifice. You bring your logic, your emotion to the table. What it will do is it will create some desperation for the Lord. I just pray that it doesn't take the belly of some fish before desperation breaks out with us. I'm going to speed up here. Verse 9, Jonah says, I'm going to vow, I vow I will pay. Um, what I vowed I will pay. He's saying that I'm going to hold up on my end of the deal. The thing that I promised in being a prophet and being obedient. I'm, I'm going to actually do this now. Lord, he's finally responding um, to the grace of God. And, and he makes this affirmation here. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I love this. I love this though. I'll sit down for just a second. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a declaration. Jonah knows his salvation personally comes from the Lord, but he also realizes that in God's global game plan for salvation, that it's not a meritocracy, that God can pick and choose anyone that he wants to. And he says, so salvation belongs to the Lord. Thinking about the people in Nineveh, and because of this posture, God's now going to redirect Jonah's path. Last verse, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Dry land. I don't know if this is why, Jackson, this is Jackson, my Jackson's favorite story. This is probably why here, right? Um, the Lord speaks to the fish, and it vomits Jonah out to dry land. So remember, this whole, this whole prayer so far, it's been in the past reflection, basically. Here it moves back into the present moment. God speaks to a fish, which, and it vomits Jonah out onto to dry land, which is super gross. But if you think about the two exit strategies possible here, like, <laughs> the vomit seems like the better choice, right? <laughs> I think the easy takeaway for, for us on this is that is this that we don't always have much of a choice in how we're going to be delivered. We don't always get to pick the vehicle that God is carrying us in to deliverance. And like Jonah, he probably would have picked a different method for sure. He would have picked a different vehicle than the, than the fish that God used. But, but, but hear this. Even with the fish, God had purpose in it. God was sovereign in this moment. And so... What the fish was, is it was a sign for Nineveh. It was a sign for Nineveh. If you'll remember back earlier on in the message, I mentioned a false god that the, that the Assyrians worshipped. His name was Dagon. Pull that picture of this fella up here. Dagon. And we talked about earlier on in this series that um, the city of Nineveh, it was founded by Noah's great-grandsons. You might remember his name. You don't name your, your own kid this. Nimrod, yeah, there we go. Um, and so when you look back at the word Nineveh, it's translated as the residents of Nunu, which is an Akkadian word for fish. So this is the people of the fish town, right? Because they're right next to the Tigris River. And so this is so amazing to me. The guy with the greatest fish story of all time is going to tell them about his God, and, and they worship the fish god. You see God's sovereignty here in, 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 in the fish? And so Jonah, soon he's going he's gonna to go into Nineveh. He's going to go in reluctantly 
to proclaim the gospel, and he was going to tell them this story, man, and it was going to make a splash with the people there. And I think maybe this is part of why they even listened to this foreigner in the first place. As, as Jonah would start to tell them about how his God, Yahweh, placed him inside of this fish for three days and three nights, and then this fish spit him back up onto the land, it would have grabbed the ear of, of the Ninevites there. And so Jonah, man, he's been in this, he's been in this ish, and he's remembered the Lord, and he's been renewed. And because of those things, God has redirected him back to where he wanted him. And now once again, Jonah is sitting on the dry land, and, and he's definitely helpless still, but he is not hopeless. Hopeless. 